welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered, the Shadi Nabhan podcast. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and medical oncologist, and I have interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. As, as you have grown accustomed and used to debates on Healthcare Unfiltered, today will be a heated debate between Drs. Aaron Goodman and Alan Skarbnik. The debate is on the treatment of double hit lymphoma. Double hit lymphoma is an entity in the WHO classification that was recognized as a separate entity in the last classification in 2016. And the debate really is how best to treat this entity titled double hit lymphoma. Aaron is going to argue that it's going to be RCHOP. Now, for those of you who do not treat lymphoma, RCHOP is really the most commonly used regimen for this disease, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. While Alan is going to argue that we should really use an intensified program, namely the dose-adjusted EPOC-R. Basically, the dose-adjusted EPOC-R is a different way of administering various chemotherapy drugs. And you know you intensify the regimen and the treatment based on the counts and uh, try to escalate or uh, de-escalate based on that. The idea is to debate which one of these regimens we should actually treat uh, with uh, the patients with double hit lymphoma. And uh, I've invited both of uh, my colleagues to debate the issue and to tell us why they think we should use one regimen versus another. My editorial comment is that sometimes it's difficult to find one prospective study or randomized control trial for every single entity in lymphoma uh, or for other rare diseases. Not, I mean, lymphoma is not, uh, non-Hodgkin lymphoma is not a rare disease by itself necessarily. You could argue based on how you define rare disease or not. But uh, the, the, because we have 60 types of lymphoma, can we really answer every single question pertaining to lymphoma with a separate trial for that particular histology? Probably not. And sometimes you have to really exercise your clinical judgment in trying to find the answers for this particular disease. Uh, please, uh, before I air the episode that I taped with uh, Alan and Aaron, uh, I'd like to plug the show by asking you to rate it, subscribe to it, write a brief review, and refer a friend or a colleague to the show. I would be grateful for your support. And without further ado, Aaron Goodman and Alan Skarbnik on the Healthcare Unfiltered podcast. Okay, folks, well, this is the highly anticipated debate that we, you all have been waiting for. I have the pleasure of hosting uh, Dr. Skarbnik and uh, Goodman. Uh, you know, for those of you who follow this show, you, you keep hearing Aaron Goodman keeps coming on the show. I'm, I, I try not to invite him, but he keeps coming back. But uh, the idea really is to debate um, a topic on a treatment uh, for a subset of uh, large cell lymphoma. We'll set the stage for you because not all of you probably are lymphoma specialists, but um, so I appreciate you tuning in uh, and we're gonna start with a quick introduction. So Alan, you go first, a little bit about you and where you work and um, do you do anything besides lymphoma or just the malignant hematology or what's your specialty? Very little. So I'm Alan Skarbnik. First of all, thanks for, for inviting me to, to your podcast. Um, I've heard it a number of times, so it, it's very exciting to, to be here uh, and meet you guys face to face. So my name is Alan Skarbnik. I work in Charlotte. I'm the director of lymphoma and CLL program for Novant Health, and I run the CAR-T program there as well. I mostly do lymphoma and CLL. My clinic is only lymphoma and CLL, but when I'm in the hospital, I round on whatever malignant hematology transplant is in the hospital. But you know, in my clinical practice, it's it's all lymphoma and CLL. So happy to be here. Thank you so much, Alan. Uh, Aaron, for those who may have not heard you on prior podcasts, a little bit about you. Yeah, I would thank you for inviting me. But as you said, I invited myself. So I'm at UCSD. Uh, I'm in the a bone marrow transplanter. Um, I treat everything, so kind of a bread and butter malignant hematologist. Um, I would say lymphoma is maybe 
20 to 30% of my practice, a lot of myeloma, a lot of acute leukemia, and a lot of transplant. Now, and you know, um, uh, Alan, Aaron goes by Papa Heem. What are we going to call you? I think Alan is, is, is pretty fine. You can call him his carbs. A lot of people call him his carbs at work. I like carbs. I like so, carbs. You know, uh, you know, but that's cool. I think we're a little cut from the same cloth there. I'm, I'm also a musician and, you know, we, we, we like beard as well. So I think we, we have, I play keys, guitar, saxophone, uh, mostly keys and saxophone. Those are my main instruments. So I know you play guitar. You know what? Cool. You just, you just got me an idea. Seriously. Podcast. No, no, for a podcast that I would like to invite physicians who have interest in music, like play music. And I think would be really fun to do a podcast. Let me think about this. I know several physicians who really love to do that. I think it would be a lot of fun. I think it would be awesome, yeah. So Scarves versus Aaron, the reason I've invited you, and I know I'm doing a lot of talking in the beginning, but I, I promise you I will do less of that. I just want to set the stage. There has been a lot of chatter on social media into the most appropriate therapy for certain subsets of large cell lymphoma. So we are going to try to educate uh, people for the first five minutes what large cell lymphoma is. But the purpose of this debate is answering a simple question. I want to make sure we frame it right. What Aaron is arguing is there are no subsets of large cell lymphoma that should be treated with anything else but RCHAP. SCARBS is arguing that there are some subsets of large cell lymphoma that should be treated by something else, not by RCHOP, such as the dose-adjusted EPOC-R. Is that what we're arguing about? No. Okay, tell me what no. we're arguing about. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think there's a fundamental difference here that we're arguing about double-hit lymphoma, which it's not a subset of the LBCL. Yeah. You're right, you're right. So, you know, it's a separate disease, it's a separate entity on its own right, and it's not me saying this, it's the WHO classification of lymphoma saying that based on previous data. So I think for DLBCL, there's not a lot of argument. There's a prospective trial showing there's no difference, taking the retrospective, you know, subgroup analysis, a whole lot of thing, but taking the trial as a whole shouldn't give epoch for your standard diffuse large cell lymphoma, be it ABC, be it GCB, be it high IPI. Uh, or even double expressor, you know, but double hit lymphoma, triple hit lymphoma, it's a separate category as, at all. And that specifically, that's what we, I am debating at least, sure. because sure. the other end doesn't have a real debate. We will do that. And the second question is, are we also going to ask the question whether primary mediastinal B-cell lymphoma should be uh, RCHOP versus dose-adjusted EPOC-R, or this is not needed today? I use EPOC for primary mediastinal B-cell lymphoma. So do I. So well, boom, yeah. there you go. All right. So, so, so let, let's set the stage. Not everybody probably on this podcast, again, may understand what double hit lymphoma is. And I think SCARBS just uh, articulated it's a separate entity in WHO. Who wants to tell listeners, what, what are we talking about? What, what is double hit lymphoma? Sure. Do you want me to take that, Aaron? Or I mean, sure. It, I would love to hear. I would love to learn. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to teach you anything. But uh, so, you know, double hit lymphoma, triple hit lymphoma are uh, lymphomas that are high grade and independent of the histology of the high grade, unless it's a true Burkitt, but everything else, uh, it's a lymphoma that shows translocations involving MEC which uh, is a um, which is a gene that if dysregulated causes a rapid cellular proliferation plus either a translocation involving BCL2 and or a translocation involving BCL6. BCL2 is an uh, anti-apoptotic molecule. We know, for instance, in, in CLL and our hematologic malignancies, it's overexpressed, it prevents itself from dying. BCL6 is a transcription uh, repressor, so if abnormal, it allows cells to, to multiply their, their DNA aromatarian. So it's a combination of MEC plus translocation plus one of these other molecules being translocated in a chromosomal basis as determined by a, either a break-apart fish or dual fusion probe fish. 
that again is independent of the histology, be it large cell histology, be it what he used to call BCLU histology, which was indeterminate between B cell lymphoma and Burkitt, uh, be blastoid uh, uh, morphology. It's a determinant based on the chromosomal abnormalities. So the way the WHO had classified that now is you start with histology, that's the first thing, then you revert to fish. If fish is positive, it's high-grade B-cell lymphoma with translocation involving MEC and or BCL2 or BCL6, and BCL2 and or BCL6, which we commonly call double hit or triple hit. If those translocations are not present, then you revert back to the histology, then you're going to call it high-grade B-cell lymphoma NOS, DLBCL NOS, or Burkitt, or whatever the histology is showing. So based on the observation that clinically and biologically this disease had a completely different behavior than most of your diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, uh, the WHO has separated that in its own entity. Thank you so much, Alan. Aaron, anything you want to add to the definition? I thought it's pretty exhaustive. Anything, anything you want to add to that? No, I think he he summarized it very nicely. Uh, other than the fact that you know these are, you know, this is new. I forget when the WHO added this. The last twenty sixteen. Yeah. That's twenty sixteen. So mm -hmm. you know, keep that in mind, and and uh, you know, the, the, this is changing, and so is uh, you know uh, what we you know believe is what is the true double hits. Uh, uh, as far as whether it's the, does it, you know, B, is MIC and BCL6 the same as MIC and BCL2? Is mm -hmm. the, the translocation partner of the MIC gene matter copy numbers? And keep in mind, um, as we go through this debate, at least, at least as I went through my training, initially we lumped them all together and then we're like, ah, oh, we were wrong and started peeling some of those mm -hmm. uh, things off. And we'll talk about that. Yeah, and I think the important thing to point out, as Aaron pointed out, is that double hit and triple hit are heterogeneous on their own right, right? As the LBCL is heterogeneous, as, you know, uh, uh, follicular lymphoma can be heterogeneous. It's an entity uh, that is rarer than these other lymphomas. Uh, it has been newly classified. As I said before, it was, uh, it's about 5 to 10% of all uh, DLBCLs that were diagnosed in the past. Depends on the series. You'll see different numbers there. Probably the, the right number lies around 6 to 7%. All, all the previously diagnosed DLBCL are still what we call DLBCL off the bat based on histology. But yes, it's a heterogeneous disease as most of the other lymphomas. Scarps, um, can I ask you, um, you mentioned you start with the histology and then you go into the translocation. Um, mm -hmm. Is there any phenotype that may may let you at least suspect double hit lymphoma? Like when a patient presents to the clinic, mm -hmm. seeing them, would you say, you know what, my suspicion is pretty high because of X, Y, and Z. Anything like that? Well, yeah. So uh, most of the patients with double hit lymphoma tend to be older, about the age of 65. Uh, majority of them present with high LDH with symptomatic disease uh, and advanced stage disease. Uh, we know, or it, it seems that from retrospective data as well, that early stage double hit is not the same as advanced stage double hit. I mean, they have different clinical behaviors as well, uh, but they are rare, uh, but most of them are advanced stage. Based on histology, if you're seeing one of what we used to call BCLU or if you, large cell lymphoma with characteristics between diffuse large B cell and Burkitt, you know, a lot of those are going to be double hit. But in, in DLBCL in general, the GCB subtype of uh, DLBCL, I mean, not most GCB have double hit, but most double hit is a GCB subtype of DLBCL. Uh, less so in the ABC subtype, those are what, the, what they call double expressors, which is a different entity, uh, are more commonly seen. So, Aaron, you, you, you asked a question that I think is pretty interesting, and then we're going to get into treatment, but I just want to get this out of the way. So, obviously, we all know that the last WHO lymphoid malignancies classification was published by Swerdlow uh, in 2016 in blood. Does this mean... I mean, clearly the entity existed before 2016. It just was more recognized as a separate entity in 2016. So as you guys decide on debating the best treatment option for double hit lymphoma, are we just saying that we, we cannot, how do we reconcile this? I mean, do we only have five years body of evidence 
uh, or do we go back and try to like how do we how do we reconcile treatment of a newly identified entity while we obviously knew it existed before it's very hard to do so uh, i mean you can still go back and look at those largely retrospective studies i mean they did define groups that had mic and bcl2 rearrangements and we can largely assume that those would meet the current definition uh, of, of, of double hits or aggressive lymphomas with making BCL2 rearrangements. Uh, but you're right, we can't know for certain. And that, I'll get into that with my debate as why we should not be treating these any differently. Well, I mean, the, the, cat, the characterization of the double hit arose from the evaluation of previous large cohorts, uh, mainly of prospective trials uh, where, uh, you know, we had been identified before the major arrangements could, could lead to a higher, uh, a, a poor prognosis. And then it was identified within those larger cohorts of prospective trials, subset of patients who did have the double translocation with make mostly with BCL2 as, as the second hit, uh, less commonly with BCL6. And by observing the outcomes of those patients within those larger cohorts that they extracted and created a new entity after that. But we've known that it existed for, for many years now. And, and the big part of it is that by evaluating that subset of patients uh, within those larger cohorts, first of all, they, they were not as common uh, than the larger uh, you know, cohort of diffusive cell lymphoma patients. But clearly, those are the patients that had uh, poor outcomes within those cohorts. And that's what led to that, you know, uh, change, but I think the biggest issue here is recognizing it as a different entity on its own biological right and clinical right. There is a lack of prospective studies to determine what's the best treatment for it. And my point that I'm sure that Aaron's going to argue is that there's no established standard of care for these patients because except for a single phase two, single arm study done prospectively, there's no other prospective data, randomized or not, that discern that subspecific population and evaluate a treatment for those patients versus another treatment. That, that, those data don't exist, right? So um, when we're comparing different, different treatment uh, um, regimens, all we have is retrospective analysis. Um, and that's the limitation, and that's where the debate lies. I mean, are those retrospective analysis sufficient, or are they convincing enough to gear towards a more intensive treatment regimen, or not? And I think that's that's where the question lies. And I don't think any of us has the right answer. To be sincere, I don't think that we're going to get to consensus. The field has not gotten into consensus for, for years in this. Um, I, I think we do have discerning points of view, uh, and, and, and the great thing is just to present them so people can make their own choices and make their own opinions, you know, how they'll treat the patients. What I got to say is that I don't fault anyone who treats a double hit with our chop. There are reasons for people to do that. I've treated a double hit with our chop. There's a subset of patients that I would do that for. At the same way that I wouldn't fault someone for doing those just very pop for that subset of patients, which is different than the larger in a realm of diffuse lymphoma. Alan, but just, I just want to get back to definitions. Would you consider MIC and BCL2 versus MIC and BCL6? I know they're grouped together, but would you consider them separate biological entities? That's a good question that right now I don't think we really have the answer. There is contradictory data for, for those. I would not treat them different from each other. The same way I wouldn't intensify a triple head versus a double head, for instance, someone has all the translocations. I think that if we evaluate it deeply, and again, there's contradicting evidence for both, both sides of the story here. Uh, there's data set showing that, uh, the, the Lunenberg data set showing that if the make is translocated with a non-IG partner, that uh, the bad prognosis of the make translocation is not really present, whereas the Mayo Clinic series says it doesn't matter what the partner is, IG or non-IG, both have a poor prognosis. So, um, you know, if you're going to start to kind of like really go down the nitty-gritty, I would say, well, someone who has a very straightforward DLBCL histopathology with a translocation that's a non-IG partner, um, the proteins are not necessarily overexpressed. I mean, probably 
this is one that's more akin to a straight up diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, then someone who has a BCLU histopathology with an IG partner with all three molecules being translocated. So Alan, that's where heterogeneity is. Yeah, but Alan, there is, that's the, you know, I think this there's in lies my point. We're going down, you know, when I just said, you know, maybe going to the BCL6 or the non-IGH uh, binding, that's getting nitty gritty. But couldn't I then just say, well, we have DLBCL and now we're calling these MIC uh, double hits, the nitty gritty. You know, we change our lines of nitty gritty of what, what becomes clinically relevant but, as far as treatment from pathology. I mean, right, why do we have pathology? We have pathology to have different disease entities so we can treat these. And in the bottom line is we just don't know yet. We, we don't. We really don't. We think we know. But, but we really sure. don't. I'll give you that. Okay, I'll give you that. I think we don't know everything. I think uh, that, uh, of course, this is non-controversial, but there are questions still uh, on it and why uh, uh, there's a difference or not and how, how consistent the difference is. Um, I do think that are, there are enough data sets that consistently showed the same similar clinical outcomes across the board uh, to when evaluating all of that, perhaps considering that a dose-intensified regimen may be uh, of more benefit for, for those patients. Whether this is completely right or completely wrong, we won't know until there's a prospective trial, which I don't think that will be. And I don't think that's the final answer. To be sincere, I think the combination of novel agents with a backbone of chemotherapy may be way more effective than intensifying treatment, but outside of a clinical trial, we don't have that option right now. But Aaron and, and Alan, I wanna, let me just step back a little bit and just take this more broadly. If we are going to treat patients only, only based on prospective randomized controlled trials, that demonstrate an overall survival benefit, I think it could be very challenging in many lymphoid malignancies just because some of these lymphoid malignancies are a little bit rare. I mean, mm -hmm. let's face it, we have to agree with that. No, no, I, I hear, I, I, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you answer that. I'm just trying to say that I feel that sometimes we don't have the answer to your point, Aaron. I agree. We don't have the answer based on an RCT that's prospective. The question that you are going to be faced with as a clinician when you see that patient in front of you in the clinic, how are you going to treat this patient despite lack of RCT? That's really the issue. So go ahead. I agree. And, you know, Let's take a step back, you know, so as he said, you know, the CalGB study, there was no difference in all comers uh, DLBCL uh, with EPOC uh, versus ARCHOP. So then we say, well, hey, you know, the highest risk patients, the double hits, which were uh, underrepresented in that study. I don't know, was there a few patients? Three patients. Yes, yeah, so three patients. We can't use this study. So we, that, can. we can't, that's fine. We can say we can't use that. But then, okay, well, you know, our definition of DLBCL is expanding, you know, uh, as far as uh, subtyping is, is changing rapidly now with the molecular classification. So I could say- Why, 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 why is it just three patients? How many patients were enrolled in the CLGB trial? 491 patients, of which only 55% had tissue available for fish. I see. Of those 55% who had available tissue for fish, only three patients were double hit. So let's, three. Three. let's, so, let's so, do the math. How many total? 400? 0.6% of the total okay. population. I've done the math. Yes. Okay. Because I looked at that and the first question I asked was like, how many double hits are here? I was like, I don't care how many stage. And not only that, they have 25% of patients were stage two, non-bulky. You know, uh, the, the, the interval from diagnosis to initiation of treatment was 21 days, which is impossible to achieve with a double hit. It's not feasible. They, they, they don't have that long to wait. They are high, rapidly proliferative. So it's not that it's underrepresented. It's not represented in that study. So using that study to discuss, it's, it's not. So using that study to discuss double head, it's, 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 it's a wrong evaluation of the depth. That's not what I'm using that. So uh, let me get, so Alan clearly knows this data a lot better than me number wise. I'm impressed by your, uh, 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 that. Uh, but, but what I was saying is, you know, everyone's can't, you know, 
we have to draw the line at some point. We keep on cutting the pie and say, well, the, you know, it's like a myeloma, you know, when they do the studies, they go, well, the high risk, we don't know. So let's treat it more intensely. I think we it's very different it. than that. Well, well you can, let me finish my point. So, you know, if we sequence all these patients, well, everyone's cancer is their own, own unique thing. What we get from the CalGB study, we get one certainty. And this is, we get a fact, a true mm -hmm. fact that we cannot hide from. The fact that we get from the CalGB is the dose-adjusted EPOC-R is more toxic for mucositis, neuropathy, febrile neutropenia, and it's a pain in the ass for patients, that regimen too. So it's clearly uh, uh, that, you know, and it's definitely treating our patients more. So we take that as fact, and you can't argue with that. We have 100% fact of that. Okay. No question and, there. It is a yes. more toxic regimen. Yes. I don't argue with it. Yes. Now, the biggest, but I think that the toxicity argument is flawed in this particular situation. And I'll tell you why, okay? I'll tell you why. This is this is what what the way I see it. It is a more toxic regimen if you're comparing dosagesity pocar to archop. I'm not arguing that, but this is a disease that, if present, mandates treatment. This is not a CLL. This is not a myeloma. This is a disease that, if you treat frontline, and the patient has less than a complete response, you will treat them with a second line therapy, right? And in general, you're going to transplant that patient. So cumulatively. If you look at the data here, if you look at several different data sets, the numbers are very, very similar. 40% CR for our CHOP, 68 to 70% CR for double adjusted our EPOC. These are binary questions. Either patient has CR or the patient doesn't have CR. So you're talking about here that 58% more of the patients who receive our CHOP in frontline will require a second line therapy when compared to patients who receive those adjusted or EPOC. So cumulatively, these patients end up having more toxicity. That, that's, you know, they're going to have- that, You cannot therapy. say that for sure. They're going to have a CR. Can't say that they're going to sure. have a transplant, you know? So you're going to end up with more toxicity with these patients at the end of the day. Well, you just so said- that is my can't, point. You can't say that for sure. What I can say for sure is what I said for sure. But what you say, you can't say with sure. There is doubt and uncertainty in what you just said. But I think as, as a listener, I'm not part of the debate, but what I actually heard Scarp saying, to be honest, I mean, look, I'm going to be fair here. What I heard him saying is he agreed with you. The toxicity is absolutely higher with those adjusted epoch R. But what I heard him saying, it is worth it because you get more CR because of the dose adjusted epoch R. That's what I heard him say. I heard yeah. him say that too, but I'm saying we don't know that. How? You you don't know that? How come you don't know that? We get more You're, CRs with dose-adjusted EPOC compared yes. to RTOP? Yes. There's the OKMD Anderson retrospective uh, analysis. There is... These are uh, suggestions. These are suggestions we get. Sure, of course. There is, okay. There are suggestions. How many? We don't know for certain until we have a perspective. Try, the I do but they are very strong suggestions. The more I do ontology of retrospective studies then seem proven prospectively and how many times we've been fooled, uh, I, 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 it's, it's just... I, I, there are suggestions and for very well could be wrong. Okay. And but, they could be right too. You're so, right. They could be right, but we know for sure EPOC is more toxic and sure. we think, but, but that's my whole point. We, 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 we keep on changing everything. You know, we, let's be honest. We thought double hits did worse and would benefit. We were, we, you know, that we were cheating EPOC double hits. It was kind of accepted in the lymphoma community, community bad double expressors uh, uh, or whatever excuse we could, more extranodal site, more of this or that, higher LDH. We were giving EPOC and we were doing it because we had this belief, as you said, based off retrospective data. And, and, and then we get the CalGB study. Granted, not a lot of double hits, but it did have a lot of the other stuff. Uh, and we were shown that we were wrong. You know, with you know, back in 1990, when I was like four, you know, they were giving them promace uh, cytobomb stuff, you know. We have seen so many randomized studies, granted not in double hits, where we were so confident. I, I'm just done being fooled uh, mm -hmm. in oncology where we were proven again and again wrong uh, based off retrospective data. So okay. I, I can't, I can't, I just don't buy the retrospective data. And then we have some retrospective data like the flat iron data saying that this, you Ooh, know, and I'm not saying I, I think that's what's, the tell I'm just saying what's we the don't flat know. What's so let me get to the flat iron data in one second, but oh. I have a question for you, Aaron. Yes. And let's see if you put your money where your mouth is. I will. How do you treat hepatosplenic T-cell lymphoma? Yes, so hepatosplenic T-cell lymphoma, um, we, we, we will never 
you know, we say, see, I knew you were going to ask this to because you you know, published a yeah. retrospective data set and but your conclusion in that study, let's, uh, 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 your I, conclusion I did a retrospective study. I actually, in the yeah. study is that we don't have prospective studies with the subset of PTCL, which is a subset of PTCL, different in the bohit. It is a subset of PTCL here, where there is a plethora of data with CHOP as a front line. So you are suggesting for that patient population to use high-dose therapy followed by autologous stem cell transplantation and consolidation in first year. So how do you combine Actually, I, I don't recommend autologous. I recommend allogeneic. Allogeneic, <laughs> ooh, because that's not toxic at all, right? But, so, but, you know, how do you reconcile this? Because you're telling me here that you shouldn't go to retrospective data. It's a very, very, very similar situation. It's a subset of a data. We have prospective data in this. You say, though, that's where, see, here's where we disagree is all of a sudden, now that we've given it a new name, we've cut the piece of the pie into these smaller pieces. Now that we've done that, now we have to say it's its own entity. And that's where I disagree, because as you just said, well, maybe then this BCL6 is its own entity. Maybe make BCL, you know, we keep cutting the, you know, that's, we've just. Fine. Explain to me how this is different in a subset of T-cell lymphoma deserving high-dose therapy. Oh, and lymphoma has a clear, uh, uh, it's actually more of almost sometimes a clinical diagnosis, you know, and, and this is where we'll agree. I, I, I don't treat off the, the genomics, uh, uh, but there are patients with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma or double hit who present Burkitt-like or with rip-roaring disease, where I will really consider in some cases dose-adjusted EPOC after a thorough discussion with my patient. They still the LBCL though. I'm talking about separate subsets that came from a larger subset of disease here. So my point here is that, you know, it, okay, we can pick and choose the data that we believe and when we believe in retrospective studies, when we don't believe in retrospective studies, they are informative. They are I don't not believe definitive. in any retrospective studies. I, I will say that we make things up in a palisplenic lymphoma. I will be the first to admit. As right. we're gonna treat EPOC with, with, with a double hit, we are, we have a feeling so it's about it. that's the bottom line. Up. So and let me go to the flat iron data for a second. That's the so one that's spearheaded this whole discussion. So first of all, the flat iron data didn't compare our job to those adjusted our epoch. It compared our job to our epoch, which is a different regimen. Uh, oh God, yeah. No, our epoch. The magic is, of the dose adjusted, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's just the magical. The whole argument neuropathy. here, yeah. Aaron, is intensification yeah. of the dose. Yeah. Okay. Our epoch is a regimen that has a lower dose of doxorubicin than CHOP with a sprinkle of etoposide, and you don't dose adjust. So that's not what we're suggesting here. Never suggested that for this patient. It's pretty much a WAP infusion. The dose adjustment here, because not only that, the retrospective data, believe it or not, shows that patients who reach those level three are the ones that have derived the more benefit. So the comparator here is wrong. Now, the second thing is this data, and I need a sip here. <laughs> huh. I didn't know we were allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 we are allowed. This well, is exactly I have two pegs out yeah. back in San but, 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 but let me go back to that. This data from Flatiron is artificial intelligence derived evaluation of 6,000 charts in mostly community settings. So, you know, this is like someone teaching an algorithm to a computer and the computer looking at the components there and deriving data from that. There is a lot of sensory difference here, but even if you go by Flatiron's own admission, their data set underestimates 35% of mortality events, 35%. So they're missing 35% of mortality events because it was not registered in the uh, EMR, because patients moved to a different system because of X, Y, Z here. And they did a modeling uh, of their own data showing that actually when you compare to national databases as the gold standard, their data underrepresents uh, the uh, effect of the experimental arm in any retrospective study that they use that platform for. So this is a flawed, if anything, study. You know, now you're going to tell me, well, there's no difference here in overall survival in the study. Yeah, granted, there was not. I think that the methodology was flawed. I think the comparator was flawed. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't understand why so much hoopla was made about this when it was released. Because if you go down to the needy, I mean, they don't talk, talk about response rates. They don't talk about events. They don't talk about progression. They talk about one single thing. I, I, th I think there's a, there, and I, I actually agree with, with Alan. I think the, 
I wasn't honestly very impressed with the with the flat iron data. I think it has a lot of flaws. Um, I do think that the, I'm not really sure that the debate was probably fueled by this additional data, but mm -hmm. the debate existed a little bit before. But you know, I, I think I think there's a you know the way I'm seeing the the debate between you guys, and both of you are making very nice arguments. But again, I'm just putting my listener hat, not my lymphoma hat. What Aaron is saying, he's sick and tired of using retrospective studies to make decisions on treating entities, whether no matter how rare they are and, and, and common they are. What Alan is saying is he also doesn't like to use retrospective studies, but sometimes there are exceptions where you unfortunately have to in scenarios where you just have to exercise you have to be creative because frankly, you can't always answer the questions in randomized controlled trials. I'm sympathetic to both points of view. I see the flaws in using retrospective studies, but I also see the fact that I can't answer everything with a prospective RCT. Yeah, no, I, Shadi, I agree. But, and, and I used to treat all these with that, but then as more data came with, well, as we talked, maybe the BCL6s aren't the same or maybe these non-IGH partners are not the same. Where do I draw the line? It keeps on changing. And, and as we learn more, it's going to change even more. And now I'm like, well, I know I'm over-treating these patients. Uh, that, you know, and, and you know, what about you know, early stage double hit? You said it's its own biological entity. So would you treat early stage, you know, so are you calling early stage double hit lymphoma a different entity than late stage double hit? You know, we just keep on, you know, we don't know. Not not biologically, but clinically, yes. Yeah, I well, do. that it doesn't make if not biologically, hey, but listen, clinically, yeah. Do you treat advanced stage DLBCL the same as early stage DLBCL? I doubt it because there's enough data to show that there's a difference. You can treat with less chemotherapy. I treat early stage double hit as I treat early stage DLBCL. I don't treat it any differently. Yes, so you uh, made that distinction, but you make the distinction in late stage disease, you will treat different. I made a distinction. Even though they're the biologically based, the same entity. No, I made a decision also based on retrospective data uh, from Palawi Torca showing that early stage make rearranged uh, uh, DLBCL or make rearranged large cell lymphomas or high grade lymphomas don't necessarily have a different prognosis than early stage non make rearranged. That's the basis for it. I'm not just willy nilly throwing this out there. But, you know, we, the, the question here is that you don't have, okay, a, a basis for saying CHOP is a standard of care or CHOP is a standard of care or DAPOCAR is a standard of care. There's no standard of care here. Um, I think the totality of the data, if you take all the papers that was, were published on it, favor those adjusted REPOC. I'm not even saying, I, there was some point in my life I used to give them a graph to these patients, which you know, I think it's insane right now to That's do. That's my point though. Maybe two sure. years from now, you'll think but, it's insane to give EPOC. But the change That's came true. based on data that albeit retrospective is the data that we have and one prospective study as biased as it can be but it is the prospective study that we have for mitral rearranged lymphomas 24 of which was, were double hit lymphoma which is much more than it has been represented on the uh, oh yeah 24 you're so, right, yeah. So, um, 24 patients with yeah. double hit wait wait that had encouraging results but more than that because my point here is that CR is important and to corroborate that comes the Landsberg study that was published in JCO in 2017 that only evaluated patients who had double hit lymphoma, received induction chemotherapy, sustained CR for at least three months, and were fit to have a transplant. That's the landmark analysis step. So they're taking from everyone who received treatment, who got CR, and what's the importance of that. So that shifts it because patients who achieved CR and sustained it for three months the overall survival in three years for the patient population in the study was 87%. The three-year event for survival for the patients in this population was 80%. So again and again, it's showing that complete remission is important. Now, even within the study, the patients who had RCHOP as the induction, they relapsed much sooner than the patients that had DAR epoch as induction. And uh, you know their th the three-year event for survival for those patients was 55% versus 88% for the patients who got those adjusted REPOC as a frontline. And I'm talking only about patients who had complete response. Okay, and the median survival at relapse 
on this on this study was 8.6 months. So the no difference in overall survival that some studies are showing is not necessarily showing that we're bad at the front line, is that we're really bad at salvaging these patients. This is not a disease that if relapsed, there's an easy way to salvage. You know, if you look at Alex Herrera's uh, data set on autologous stem cell transplantation for relapsed patients with double head lymphoma, the outcomes are decimal. Only 15% of the patients uh, survive long-term, which is the same that's seen on the Landsberg study. So again and again, there's reproducibility of this data. If it was one data set, I'll say, okay, but there are multiple data sets again and again showing the exact same thing. And that's the data that we have. So not believing that data at all, I think I, 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 I don't agree with that. So again, you know, now with CAR-T, I think things change a little bit. Well, and so I think I don't, want to to CAR -T. I don't want to go to CAR-T. I want to, yeah, before we go to CAR-T, but before we go to CAR-T, I want to ask a question because I, I think the trials, the, the papers that you cited, Alan, are very important. The Alex Herrera and, and Dan's paper are pretty important. But um, the current, and correct me if I'm wrong, the current intergroup study that is looking specifically the prospective intergroup study that is looking at double hit lymphoma is looking at dose adjusted epoch or plus minus venetoclax. Correct. And, and I think again, please, I'm not putting my lymphoma hat, putting the listener's hat. What it appears to me that the scientific community has moved on and is not going to ask the question prospectively ARCHA versus dose adjusted EPOCAR, because we clearly are able to do a prospective randomized control trial, but we chose to say we're going to do dose adjusted EPOCAR plus minus venetoclax. So as a listener, I would criticize that by saying, if you are able to conduct a prospective randomized control trial, do it once and for all. And it seems to me that the lymphoma community is not comfortable randomizing patients to R-CHOP with venetoclax versus dose-adjusted EPOCAR with venetoclax. They're not. That is absolutely on point. So then, we, then we're never going to I guess I'm, I'm out of the lymphoma community. I'm comfortable with it. You know, same thing with the HIV lymphoma. We've arbitrarily said uh, dose-adjusted EPOC is the answer all for all DLBCL. Uh, you know, that's in guidelines and, and because based off some historical you know, control that our chop or chop sucked compared to, to EPOC. I completely disagree. I, I think the appropriate study would have been uh, uh, versus our chop first EPOC before moving on to venetoclax. I can assure you that the venetoclax dose adjusted EPOC is going to be very good at causing febrile neutropenia and issues. So uh, um, I think that I think we are just, you know, we we've so many how many times do we have to freaking be fooled in oncology with intensification and in, in lymphoma or I know you're calling it not the LBCL, but like, you know. But, but why, why, Alan, why, why is it because you all have agreed today, like I heard both arguments and we all agree that we have retrospective studies. And I, honestly, I, I do believe some of these retrospective data that Alan cited are pretty compelling. And I've read these papers. In fact, I reviewed one of them as a peer reviewer. So I, I, I'm fully aware of that, but why is it if we all acknowledge that retrospective studies are hypothesis generating, we have to use mm -hmm. them until we answer that. Correct. Why not do a prospective study, Alan? Like, why not? Well, I, I don't think there's a problem in doing a prospective study as such. I think that would be great to have a definitive answer. The problem here is that none of us believe, I mean, okay, I'll say for myself, I don't believe that those adjusted or EPOC is the definitive best answer for this disease entity. I don't. Uh, I, I don't believe that our CHOP is sufficient at all for this disease entity. That's why I use this, those are just lipocar at this point in time based on retrospective data. But, you know, I think the question here is how to make sensible combinations to evaluate that. Uh, there is a clinical trial evaluating our CHOP plus apcaritumab, which is a bispecific antibody versus our CHOP alone that allows double heads to be included in the study, and I would absolutely include patients in that study. And, um, you know, I would encourage people who have that study open to obviously enroll patients in the study, because the, the, the truth is that we don't know. I agree with Aaron in that. We don't know. Uh, 
You know, it, I think it's a question of perspective here as well. So the bottom line is the lymphoma community is believes, as you said, the, the dose adjusted epox better and they don't feel the need to compare it to, to our chop because they believe enough, correct? Um, I think there is compelling evidence to establish that our chop is not enough. Establish that belief. So that's the bottom line. And, and that's, I think, where we, some oncologists differ from, from others. That's just but, where but we're, I do another, The other argument I would like you to comment on, and I think we just glanced over it, and I, I want to go back to it. If we think the biology of disease what matters, um, right, the BCL2 and MIC translocation or BCL6, so the underlying molecular pathology, what matters, mm -hmm. why wouldn't you use dose-adjusted EPOC-R in stage one double hit lymphoma? That's a very good question. I've used it in the past, uh, the, but, you know, the same way, the way I'm looking at the data, the data here, there is a set of data suggesting that for that kind of population, that's not necessary. You know, uh, the same way, as I said before, I don't treat early stage DLBCL as advanced stage DLBCL. They do have the same biology, I, 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 but I don't treat them the same. They're different stage disease. It seems that last chemotherapy is sufficient for those patients, you know, and not it seems, it's proven that it is, uh, you know, in the prospective phase three trial. So, uh, and as I said before, this heterogeneity within the same disease here, you know, uh, there are patients who are like, ah, if I give those adjusted REPOC, then maybe it's toxic for them. Let me find a way to not give it and give RCHOP. And I'm going to go there. I'm going to look at the pathology, go look at the cells myself, make sure that something that will convince me otherwise that I can give RCHOP. And the same way, you know, there are patients who initially I may think, okay, they may be RCHOP. And I'm going to go to histology. I'm going to go look at the cytogenetics is different. And I'm going to escalate those patients. I think it's a very nuanced thing, and we cannot have an umbrella uh, 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 statement for everyone. I can, I don't say, I don't think anyone can say no RCHOP for any double hit, and I don't think anyone can say no those adjusted REPOC for any double hit. Now, how are you going to make the decision makes with a plethora of different um, uh, uh, things, including data, and what we have is retrospective, unfortunately, and one prospective trial. That's the data that we have. We cannot discuss with that. That's what we have. I need to use something to make a decision. And the, the, the something that I'm using is compelling me to choose an intensified dose chemotherapy for those patients. That, that's it. And not only that, experience comes into play as well. I mean, you know, experience of the center in giving those adjusted our epoch as well. Um, you know, I actually did an evaluation of our own data set in our own, you know, since this, this, this uh, discussion started on Saturday, I got a quick IRB approval to evaluate my consecutive patients with double hit lymphoma uh, just in my clinic to evaluate outcomes, to evaluate toxicities, etc. And, you know, and I did a retrospective analysis. I had 20, 20 consecutive uh, double hit lymphoma patients, true double hit excluding transformed disease, just the NOVA double hit over the last two years. Four of the patients receive our CHOP for different reasons. All of them are dead within 10 months. The rest received those adjusted EPOC, 86% complete response rate. All of them are still in remission and alive a year and a half later. This is not valid for anything, but it's our experience. In our experience, we have low grades of neuropathy. Very low grade. Aaron, Aaron, have you, Aaron, have you, I mean, have you thought about doing similar experience to Alan and UCSD, for example? Uh, you lost me based on your experience. You know, I, I don't, I, I, you know, I, that, I don't know what to make of it. As with all retrospective study, you know, we, uh, especially plagues the allogeneic transplant literature that I, I delve into all the time is we're, you know, these patients are selected more than based off their disease biology, but performance status and all those things that would spell you know, bad outcomes. So, so no, uh, it, it doesn't. I don't think it's, it's to believe. I'm talking to, and forget the patients receive our CHOP because they got so because they had poor performance status. Yeah. But my standard is to give those adjusted yeah. epoch and my outcomes are good in that sense. Take it for what it is. It's not a large retrospective well, series, but I know the data here. But my point here is exactly. that those adjusted our epoch is, is, is intensive. It can cause significant side effects. There are ways to mitigate that. That is a concern. There's a ways to mitigate that. I capped the dose of increasing for patients over the age of 65 or if they're diabetic. I'm very, very aggressive in cutting down the dose of increasing. Well, what if capping the increasing, you lose the magic? You know, there you no, go. I, 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 I don't believe so. There's data from University 
of Michigan yeah, showing that Captain Nadeau's a big Christian. You know, I mean, there's data for everything here. And as I said, this is nuanced. It's, it, it's not, we can't be absolutists about this thing. I cannot come and say, let's not give those just at our epoch anymore because, you know, I don't believe the data. Uh, I, I, I think there's an extremist argument here. And I'm not saying don't give our job. I say, if you want to give our job and you have your reasons for that, please do so. Discuss that with the patient. With every patient, I suggest those are just at our epoch. I have a very honest discussion with them that we don't have prospective data to show it. This is the data that we have. This is something that is more toxic, but in my opinion of the literature, it's possible giving you better response rates. I, I, and I, and I, we I, don't know the answer. And of course- I agree. And when I can send patients, I say and exactly no, that we have no idea. Exactly, that's, so that's the thing. We agree, we have no idea. But, but, I, think, and, I, think, but yeah. I think, look, I mean, Aaron, uh, again, we have a we have no idea on a lot of things in lymphoid yeah. malignancies. I mean, honestly, I just taped a debate that I will air in a couple of weeks on frontline decision on transplant in peripheral T cell lymphoma NOS, whether you transplant in CR1 versus not. There are no prospective no randomized trials, right? Now it doesn't mean you have to make decisions, and I'm pretty sure for some patients you probably recommend a transplant, for others not, you know. So so I, I think. To be honest, my, my, my biggest um, criticism, if I will, is that everybody recognizes we don't have prospective randomized trial, and the only prospective randomized trial did not want to address that. Like I would have probably said would have been maybe even a three-arm trial. You know, those are just the epoch R, uh, epoch R plus venetoclax, and then R-chop venetoclax, whatever, yeah. I think there'll be a very smart design. Unfortunately, that's not the way it was done. I share your criticism in that sense. Uh, and you know, in terms of prospective data, again, we have one trial that we didn't really touch on. You know, 70, the patients who had double hit lymphoma in the study had very good outcomes. And you know, that, that is sombering to some extent. You're gonna tell me, you know, is a phase two, is a prospective trial, is a single arm trial? Sure, it's not proving it's better than our CHOP, but they are, seemingly better outcomes than what have been previously reported. Well, no, uh, to say seemingly, I would need a phase two in the same pop, you know, at the very least, give our chop to in a same phase two, fa you know, fashion to those same patients. And, and we'll see, you know, these are trial patients. I think the bottom line is, you know, I agree, we won't have data for everything. In my belief, and this is a belief, okay, mm -hmm. is that the answer to double hit is not dose-adjusted EPOC. Uh, 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 and I think that if we ever were to do that randomized study, it would be negative. That's my belief. And if it were positive, it would be not major uh, uh, game thing uh, uh, for that. Sure, sure. and I don't I believe. I, I agree. Again, I don't believe is the definitive answer either. That's why we need yeah. to have novel agents combined with it. But you know, we all use CAR T therapy that's costly and toxic based on phase two data. Right, single arm perspective. Slightly different, uh, uh, you know. In general, those patients, and I agree. I think the CAR T data is actually. Uh, we're actually publishing something soon on this. Is is fraught with awfulness and intention to treat. Like somehow they bypass that. But uh, there are long. There are cures that you know you see. If we think cures in, in that in a setting where there otherwise probably wouldn't be any. I think that's slightly different than frontline lymphoma. Double, I think it's different because lots of the patients, I mean, the experience and the reports are that these patients either have primary factor disease or they relapse very quickly after having NCR within the first three to six months. And again, based on one retrospective data set, having that sustained CR, it's very, very important for their outcomes. Here's what I think in regards there to- There are patients cured with R-CHOP with double hits. Absolutely. Uh, most of those there retrospective are. studies don't show- they most there, some of them show PFS. I don't know if any of them show OS. You probably know that better than me. They uh, do. Yeah. They do show difference in OS, yeah. but not to do. So yeah. the Adam Patrick study and the multivariate analysis, there's a difference. And the Oculus study, there's a difference in OS. The problem with OS and hazard ratios is that they don't tell who lived longer. They tell the proportion that lived at that period of time. So you know, if a bunch of patients with this small numbers, you're not going to see a p-value. If a bunch of patients die within the 12 months, and then you have 30% surviving three years, and a bunch of patients survive two years and they die at that point and the rest, you know, you're not gonna see a survival difference, but it's important to patients how long they live. 
And based on this data set, again, based on the median survival post-relapse of 8.6 months on two different data sets showing the same kind of number, having the CR, having the sustained CR, not having a relapse is very, very important. And again, this is not a disease that if you have a relapse, you're going to leave it alone because they will die. If they have a relapse, you're going to treat it. Okay, so salvaging double hit lymphoma that relapse is very difficult. The only thing that has somewhat shown to perhaps be effective is CAR T cell therapy. Which salvaging, has a, salvaging primary refractory large cell lymphoma is difficult. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I don't know. You can tell me. Maybe is there is there have we looked at primary refractory lymphoma? You know, versus double hit primary refractory. Is, is there some difference in that? I don't believe so. so uh, but but, but we're leaning on this double hit thing. You know, it's there, it's, there is a higher proportion. Yeah. There's a much higher proportion of patients with double hit lymphoma that present primary refractory disease than the non-double hit the LBCL. I mean, that is clear. I don't think there's much arguing with that. I mean, there's more patients with primary refractory or early relapse of disease within six to twelve months in double hit when you compare to the diffuse large cell population. Even if you adjust for the same, you know, for the same baseline characteristics outside of the biology, we know that salvaging those patients is really hard. And the problem is that most of those patients relapse within the first year if you use RTOP. So, you know, if CAR T is available in the second line commercially and it's accessible for everyone and it's not as costly and it's easier to get, et cetera, then I would feel much more comfortable in using RTOP in the front line and seeing who is cured or seeing who has a long term remission and then giving them CAR-T in the second line. In fact, a great trial will be our job versus those of just at the REPOC with CAR-T as second line offered to everyone who progresses. I think that would be a fantastic trial. I you know, we probably will salvage a lot of people will answer that question. If you want to call one of the companies and propose this trial with me, I'd be more than happy to do it with you. Uh, you know, I would love to. Pharma doesn't like me too much these days, but yeah. The listeners of Healthcare Unfiltered now are listening to how clinical trials are incepted. We are probably. Well, this is his idea. That's a good, uh, and, and, and you know, you know or uh, Graham Collins had a good idea too. Give everyone our shop so we can enroll people fast and then randomize to. to or that. So, so, you, you know, know, I mean, look, I mean, at the end, honestly, you both make very very good arguments. I'm sympathetic to a lot of what Aaron is saying when he says, you know, we've been burnt before, right? I mean, with Archa, Promesitabam, all of these things, with transplant in breast cancer and ovarian cancer and transplant in high- We're always you know, burned. This time's going to be high, different high, though. We're, we got it this time with the EPOC. At, we'll at the same time, I'm sympathetic to what Scarbs is saying, right? I mean, he's saying, look, I mean, this is a new entity, biologically different, we have some retrospective studies. These patients get better remission, complete remission. They they die fast, unfortunately, when they relapse. Listen, I've taken care I've taken care of my share of patients with double hit, and uh, honestly, I could, I mean I it, it's just an awful disease to be honest. I mean, it's just like uh, it, it's just terrible. But this doesn't mean I'm, I'm doesn't mean you treat aggressively if it's awful disease. Sometimes it is what it is. Yeah. Awful disease so how, doesn't how inherently do we, mean more how, intensive therapies better. How do we, I mean, I don't know. Do I don't we, disagree with that. Yeah. Do we do closing statements? Is there anything else we need to cover about double hit lymphoma that we did not cover? I think there's a lot to cover that no one has covered yet. I think that's the biggest issue at hand here. Again, I think for rare diseases that we don't have RCTs to define what the best treatment is, we have to make the best of the data that we have for the patient in front of us. Um, my opinion, and it is an opinion, so take it for what it is, based on revising this data multiple times. I actually read 25 papers in the last three days, just okay. to remind myself of what's going on. I had a lot of free time, um, you know, to come up here and just, you know, see, truthfully, I wanted to be convinced otherwise myself because as of as you i agree those are just an REPOC is a pain to give it's painful for patients i think there are ways to mitigate a number of the side effects as i said before um, we do a very aggressive prophylaxis antibacterial prophylaxis to to minimize neutropenic fever 
etc. We, we, you know, so I think there is really big side effects, but still it's costly. They're admitted, and you know there are significant side effects to it. But given the totality of the data that I analyzed, I'm still convinced that, well, first, our chop is not sufficient. I think that's very, very convincing and compelling from all the data. And second, that it seems that those adjusted REPOC seems may lead to an advantage for these patients, particularly incomplete response rates that seem to translate to longer-term remissions in these patients. Now, based on that, that, that's my view of the facts and it's my personal opinion. Again, I don't fault anyone who gives our chop to these patients. Um, I just don't think, I, I just, in, in my personal view, I don't think it's the best thing to do. Yeah, it's something that you can do. Okay. Well, I think I think we've we've you know clearly there are some points of disagreement, but I believe we, for listeners, I hope they understand the complexity, frankly, of decision making um, uh, uh, in situations like this. The one thing I would say on behalf of patients and families, I would say, do not let that decision come on the patient to decide. It is it, it is not fair. It is not fair to patients. They don't. They will never get the complexity of the issue. Shared decision making sometimes gets abused as a concept. There's significant asymmetry of information. If I was sitting in the clinic, well, not me. If somebody else was sitting in the clinic, and you're gonna tell me choose RCHOP or dose adjusted EPACAR, I'm say screw you. I don't know what you're talking about. You tell me what to get. Shadi, I, I I completely shared decision making, and I've having seen as a fellow trained like. What do you want? Like, that's like, right. But drives you, me know nuts. I, you know what I mean? I think some, I think sometimes like shared decision-making to me works. If let's say I come to your clinic and I say, I, I, my value is I don't want alopecia. Yes. So then you can tailor the regimen sure. to prevent alopecia, but you can't really get the complexity of regimens to that extent. But I'd like to get maybe each one of you a couple of minutes for closing remarks, because, you know, I mean, I think, I think we've we've discussed this. You know, I don't believe there are right or wrong answers to Alan's earlier points. So, closing remarks, uh, Scarbs, you go first. Well, first, thank you so much for inviting me, uh, Aaron. I'm looking forward for us to doing that trial with the Carty Salvage and, and or we've got jamming. A jam playing music now. Not jamming, jamming. That, that's more, I'd actually rather do that, but I'll do the trial also. I'm much rather jamming the music. You know, you know, I have my Safe Paris T-shirt here for for the '80s. But, um, you know, I think all the points were made. Uh, uh, just, just an extra point. I do agree with the, with the shared decision-making statement there. It, it doesn't necessarily apply to, to every time because there are complexities there that we don't even understand. So it's a burden on patients as well. But, you know, hopefully we'll have an answer for this at some point in the future. I truly, truly hope so. Uh, for the benefit of our patients and for the sake of our minds, you know, so we don't go crazy with these questions anymore. But again, you know, happy to be here. Happy to come again if you ever invite me again. Oh, you know? you're going to be, you, you've earned your spot on this podcast. I, I, oh, thank I, you. I loved, I loved having you. Um, Aaron, your closing remarks. Oh, I, we actually, we do disagree on some fundamental things, but, you know, you know, our chop is clearly not great therapy for, for, for double hit lymphoma. So I agree with that. And I just, for me, it lies back, you know, and this is me relying on my, my own experience uh, as an oncologist uh, of, of how many times we I've had beliefs or seen beliefs that bad disease requires intensified therapy. Then when we go and do finally get better data, we see how wrong we are. And then we change the piece of the pie to something smaller and say, well, this specific group that we now newly defined as different and then we'll change it again and, and and you know i've changed in my practice and you know what do we know and we know we know that we both agree that dose adjusted epochs more toxic uh and more of a pain for our patients and in my heart of hearts i don't think it's the answer to double hit and if it is the answer it's not a great answer uh, at least i think and uh, i'm hopeful uh, as alan is sure with some of these new bi specifics uh, i'm hopeful but skeptical uh, that some of these new agents will be the answer, but I wait to see. Well, uh, Alan Skarbnik and um, Aaron Goodman, thank you so much for coming on Healthcare Unfiltered. This was a very lively debate. I took a quick uh, video of this to uh, tease <laughs> listeners in a couple of weeks before we air this, because I think that would be a, 
a lot of fun, but uh, I really appreciate you coming in. I had a lot of fun uh, listening and uh, we are going to do more debates. So thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much. Have a good night. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate you tuning in to Healthcare Unfiltered and to listening to today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the debate. It was lively debate, civil debate, and hopefully we had some answers, although I don't believe we have a definitive answer. But I believe that all of you who have listened realize sometimes the complexity of decision-making when you're faced with some of these difficult-to-treat diseases. I would appreciate uh, if you could subscribe to the Healthcare Unfiltered podcast. You can rate the show and write a brief review. Also refer a friend or a colleague if you can. I would be very appreciative for your support. You can let me know how we're doing, suggest topics or whatever else you want to tell me by direct messaging me on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan. That's at C-H-A-D-I-N-A-B-H-A-N. You can send me an email to shadinabhanoo at outlook.com or visit the website shadinabhan.com and let me know what you think and how best we can improve on the show. I appreciate your support. And before I let you go, I would like to leave you with a saying by Khalil Gibran. He said once, your living is determined not so much by what life brings to you as by the attitude you bring to life, not so much by what happens to you, as by the way your mind looks at what happens. Until next time, take care.